I believe our story began in the first chapter of Genesis. It's just that we and I don't recognize all these different influences happening always around us because we're always so caught up in what we recognize to really be important. And this is why I'd like to call this talk today a three-point discussion called Beats, Rhymes, and Rest. If you're familiar with that, that record, then say who. Okay, all right. Um, today, we're continuing our series on rest and how God not only commands us to rest, but he communicates through that rest. He communicates his love. He communicates his care. He communicates his passion through this time of rest. And it's in these times of rest that we can really experience them. And in order to communicate what I have to share today, I'd like to use a music genre that is near and very dear to me. I love this song. I grew up listening to hip-hop. It was, it's always been a part of my life. It's been a constant. And I'd like to use it today in order to explain some things about how God gives us rest. So let me begin by saying that like everything else in culture, music isn't necessarily bad or good. I believe it is neutral. It's not inherently good or bad, but a medium through which we can communicate what is good and what is bad. And I used to hear theories that hip-hop culture was created to destroy the African-American culture. And I'm not an advocate of that, because not only have I seen some amazing, godly things happen through this format, through this genre, but I've also seen artists in other genres of music being accused of creating diabolical content. For example, you ain't nothing but a also like to add that often we think of God as transcendent, and he is. He is holy, he is wonderful, he is beautiful, and we come to him. But God is also imminent. He is here with us. He comes down. He condescends to be with us. And so as we think about these two things, we can often find that the extraordinary exists in the mundane. In the regular secular music we hear, we can hear glimpses of God's love and his compassion. So I'd like you to keep an open mind as I go through this. Uh, and I use this medium to recognize God's presence in our lives. So, let's go back to the 1970s. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, not, not, not those 1970s. Okay, not those 1970s. 
Not those 1970s, but come back with me to the Boogie Down Bronx of New York City. Now, you're having your 18th birthday party in the basement of your apartment building. You've invited your friends and your relatives, your neighbors, but you don't have money for a live band. So what you do, you do the next best thing. You hire your buddy with a rack in the crate of records and the turntables, and you also invite a friend who can MC. So you have a DJ who's spinning those records, keeping the beats going, but you also have an MC who is trying to keep the party live. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Tony's birthday. Give a big round of applause to Tony. I'm so glad you're all here today. Give a big hug to Tony when you see him. There's some punch and some, some soda over there if you want some. Be nice to Tony's mom. She's right over there. And we have a dance floor. So if you feel like shaking it, if you feel like celebrating what Tony has done and what Tony is doing, then I want to get out on this floor because it is time. Yes, there's one. It is time to get down. Let's be real. Mrs. Church, sit down. <laughs> I wonder if that would work. Okay, so, so you can tell at the very beginning of that song, there was a break in the vocals. No, no, no singing during that portion. And so what would happen is, during that, set, that portion of the song, MCs would make announcements. They would say things like, ah, everybody get live, you know, that kind of stuff. But as time went on, they started to become more and more creative with what they were saying. They started to improvise based on what they saw. They started to rhyme, create poetry, and things got more and more advanced. And so certainly, you have something more like this. You hear the beat? That's that break right there. And this is how we're going to fill it. So these breaks that they had in these songs weren't long enough for MCs to drop their rhymes. So what they started to do was they started to take those sections, those samples of the song and lengthen them. They used to loop them and play them over and over and over again. And what that would do is it would create a base, a foundation upon which they could build other things. So what I'm about to play you right now is one of the most famous beats in pop music. And so listen for, it's, and it's very simple. It's just musical tones, it's a snare and a bass drum, and it's a, drum, it's a bass line. So listen up. Now with that, I can lengthen that, and I can loop it over, and I can layer that with all types of instrumentation and lyrics and drum beats. So listen up. You got it? Okay, so I've been hearing that song that little section pretty much all of my life. And I've never knew where it came from. And I didn't really care. But one day I was watching a video or a 
an interview with a music producer, and he mentioned the words Blind Alley, and I had to look it up because I, I had no idea what that meant. And so this is what came when I searched Oh, that's not it. Oh, sorry. Back up. So that beat has been used over and over and again, and here's some samples of how that beat's been used. So he, he hears it. In reverse. Phony rappers who do not excite phony rappers. Check it out, alright? Yo, I was riding the train in this Puerto Rican kid says civil and plain. Let's battle. Here we go, again. In reverse. I'm not playing it, don't worry, Tina. She's looking at me funny. So there's the beat. Now I heard this song, or this producer mentioned the words Blind Alley, and this is what I found. Similar, same thing. All right. So this song has so much more than this, just that one section, just that one intro, and I would never have heard it. This song is actually about female empowerment and relationships, and it's completely different than all those other songs that were being played. What had happened was they took that section, they put their own meaning upon it, they, put, they made a spin on whatever that song was, and they created something new. And in some cases, it was great. But what got lost for me, because I'd never heard that song before, was that this track, this little sample, became everything. And there's so much more to the song. It completely blew my mind. And taking these samples and creating something new with them and losing sight of the rest of the song, this is what we do not only with music, but we also do it with the Bible. Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson is one of the founding founders of our country, and he was a Christian, sort of. Like many others at that time, Jefferson was a deist. In short, he believed that the God of the universe had no desire or interest in the personal affairs and the welfare of an individual person. He did not believe that Jesus was God, and that all miracles in the Bible could be explained naturally, or didn't need to be explained at all. So Jefferson took the Bible... He omitted all the portions on which he couldn't agree, kept teaching those principles, and wrote and published his version. Jefferson did it, and to some extent, we all do it, and quite naturally. You see, everything we experience involves context. Right now, how we experience this very moment is based on our context. I'm sitting here before all of you covered in flop sweat, trying to share ideas that I believe that God has given me to share with you today. You're sitting there, very comfortable with your, your wife and your cup of coffee. <laughs> Sorry. Relaxed, and he's hearing 
these ideas that are either brand new or he hasn't heard them in quite a while. And he has expectations of what I'm sharing and showing based on what he's experienced in his life. And it's based on his mood, his view of Jefferson, his view of me. And we're taking and processing this information with all that and more in mind. That's context. So when we see a piece of scripture, we naturally place it into the context that we have. And we try to understand it from our perspective. Completely natural, completely normal. But when we do that, we sample, we take a section, and we assign new meanings to those verses, and we can miss out on all the other things that were attached to it. So let's take a look at Jeremiah 29. From my context, living in the modern world, with a job and bills and relationships and expectations, and a job and bills and relationship and expectations. Did I mention the bills? Okay. So with all of that, I can understand this verse to mean this. In the midst of difficulty, God promises to protect me from all harm and to give me amazing blessings. Once again, this verse is, For I know I have, oh, for, sorry, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I can take this to mean, this is what God means to me. He is going to bless me. He's going to protect me in these circumstances that are difficult. He's going to help me pay my bills. He's going to help me prepare these relationships. He's going to help me keep my job. He's going to help me do all these things. And that is true. Let's, let's be clear here. If the Spirit of God, which speaks to all the people in Scripture and helped them to write down what they wrote, speaks to us as well, is alive in us, breathes within us, inspires us, then if God told me this meaning, if he assigned this meaning to it, then it is correct. And I can accept this and believe this wholeheartedly. But if I do that alone, and I take this one verse, and this is only what it means, I'm losing out on so much more. What did it mean for the people who first heard it when Jeremiah was speaking? Let's get the situation straight. We have Jeremiah one of the prophets, one of many prophets that God sent to correct Israel, to tell them, I love you, but you're messing up, and you have to stop. And he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to tell Israel, there's going to be consequences if you don't shape up. Please, I love you. Please, I beg you, don't continue on this path. But Israel had taken a, new, a different path. They had taken the path of the people around them. They had taken samples from the Bible and made those important. And all of a sudden, what Jeremiah was saying was no longer important. And so Jeremiah, throughout most of this book, is telling them, you're getting what you paid for. Enough is enough. You've done all these things, and you're going to pay for it. But then he inserts this, this phrase right here. And this phrase means so much more in this context. Because throughout the punishment, the 70 years of exile, the 70 years of punishment, whatever is going on, God says, don't worry. I have plans for you. You're going to go through this. You have to go through this. I love you. You need to be corrected. But what's going to happen is you're going to come out better in the end. And here's the other thing. The you in there is plural. It doesn't speak to one person. It speaks to an entire nation. So as we experience the consequences caused by our people's collective disobedience, 
God promises to protect our people from harm and to give our people amazing blessings and eventually to restore our people to their homes. So Alan, let's just, for example, Alan, you might die in exile. You might not prosper. You might be poor. You might be miserable in exile. You won't be redeemed through your life. God will redeem you through the salvation of the people around you, through your children, through your children's children, through your children's children's children, and through Mary. (laughs) (laughs) So this verse means so much more. That's intergenerational thinking, by the way. If you're ever thinking, okay, I'm in trouble, God's going to help me, God's going to bless me, yes, that's quite true. Is he ever going to pull me out of these circumstances that I'm in right now? Not necessarily. But I'm not in this for me, per se. I'm in this for the kids that are around us. I'm in it for you guys. I'm in it for all the people that you are going to influence day after day after day. That's why we're here. So we have these two views. We have the view of God's going to bless me. And we have the second view of God's going to bless all of us. And maybe not necessarily me. Is the first one wrong? No, not necessarily. If the Spirit is speaking to you and saying, this is what I have for you, then absolutely is correct. But don't forget the original meaning, because it has so much power. There's so much there. When you look at the first one, this becomes a reward for persevering through these troubles, through these times of difficulty. But when you look at the second one in context, it becomes a gift of mercy in the midst of trouble and pain. So let's look at another verse. This is the verse we've been using for a very long time. It's the, uh, the focus of the rest series. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, if I hear this, and again, you guys have heard the things, the bills, the bills, the bills. What this means to me in this context could be when the circumstances of life have burnt me out, when I'm just tired, when I'm just weary, when I just need a break, God will give me a rest from those circumstances. And it's quite possible this might what it might mean. And if it does, praise the Lord, where's my ticket to Maui? (laughs) But it might not mean that. What did it mean in its original circumstance? And we've been talking about this throughout the series. What did it mean for them? Actually, let me back up. The key word here for me is yoke. We have a group of people that have been struggling with what it means to follow God. And they've taken these samples from the Bible. And they've elevated them. And they've surrounded them with their own meaning. So that when they have them, all of a sudden, not only can I not work on the Sabbath, I can't help someone on the Sabbath. Not only can I not eat shellfish, but... More than that, I can't eat all of these foods. And there's no meaning assigned to it. It's just the rule. That's all I'm here to do. Just follow the rule. And when God gave us these ten ordinances, he gave them to us with principles behind them. But we forget the principles. We focus on the rule itself. We've taken that sample, elevated it, covered it, made it the foundation of our faith, and we run with it. And what Jesus is saying here is, these are the principles behind them. Verses, the first four commandments all relate to that first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The second six all relate to loving your neighbor as yourself. 
And what Jesus is saying is, if you love God and if you love your neighbor, you will avoid breaking any of these ordinances. That's a different spin on things. What he's saying is, when I'm trying to be faithful to God, and it's burnt me out, God will give me rest by simplifying his call on my life. So are you guys familiar with yokes? Yokes are used... Yokes, no, I'm sorry. Yokes are used to pull things. So I attach this to an oxen or any kind of beast of burden, and it can be used to pull a heavy load behind me. And so what Jesus says here is, take my yoke. So we remove the yoke that's on us, and we take his yoke on us. But whose yoke is it? Jesus's. Who's pulling the yoke? Jesus. This is not a single yoke, not just one part. It's a two-parter. So what you're doing is you're no longer carrying your own weights. You're no longer doing your own work. You have now joined Jesus in the work that he is doing. And he's doing all the work. So there inherently is rest in the fact that you're not carrying the full weight anymore. That's what Jesus was trying to convey through this word yoke. It's huge. And I'm sure that Pastor Daniel and Pastor Kevin and Josh have talked about this, so I know I'm boring you. But the point I'm trying to come across is when you have these two verses, when you have this one verse, or we've turned to two verses, we look at that first one and we say, okay, this means I can have a respite from work, which is wonderful. And again, again, I'm not, I want to make this totally clear. If the Spirit is giving you this meaning for this verse. It is true. Embrace it. Hold on to it. But don't forget the original meaning. God wanted to give us a new, renewed purpose in his work. He's doing the work. We're along for the ride. And we are blessed to be alongside him because his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and he is meek and humble of heart. That's quite a person to be doing work with. So... As we come to the end here, we sample from music, we sample from scripture, and we sample from our lives. Every single day, God is speaking to us. He's playing his song to us. And we can miss it, or we can mishear it. Because what we have taken to be true and right and important? I gotta work! I gotta move. I gotta make moves. I can't sit still. And we use scripture. We find scripture samples that can support this and we run with them. Work, work, work. I did great on that project. I helped that person today. We can take those moments in life. We can section them out. We can wrap them up with our own meaning and we can turn them into, I am incredible. I can do this all by myself. I don't need your help. I'm independent. People might need me, but I don't need them. Maybe I don't need God either. I messed up on that task. I treated that person really badly. We can take those moments in life. We can wrap them up in our own meaning. We can turn them into, there's another example of how I am a failure. No one cares. No one loves me. I'm worthless. So how do we get past the noise? Who here came to the retreat? The retreat that happened a couple weeks ago. Okay, so you guys came. If you were there, you heard a man named Mark Iaconelli, another Mark. I still think that I was the better singer that day. But <laughs> oh, yeah, thank, 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 thank you for calling me. Uh, 
Mark Iaconelli spoke about spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines, and he kind of mashed them all together into this retreat. And these, the point was, you get these ideas and concepts, and you carry them out in your lives. Not just separate and segregate yourself from the world, but actually to use these practices when you're out there. And one of them he used uh, very briefly was called the examine. Now, there was a guy named Ignatius about 500 years ago. And Ignatius was a soldier, and he was hit by a cannonball, broke both his legs. And for months, actually maybe over a year, he was bedridden, having surgery after surgery on those legs. And he actually had multiple surgeries because what happened was it was fixed incorrectly, and it was kind of like this. One leg was longer than the other, and he couldn't stand that because he was actually very vain. So he said, break it again, reset him, we're going to fix it, and we had it right. But as he was doing this, friends were coming by and giving him books about the lives of people that were following Christ. And he began to read them. And he began to question, what am I doing? Is my purpose to look good? Is my purpose to be a warrior? Or is my purpose to do the work of Christ? And so what he came up with, using the experiences of hundreds of people before him, Christian contemplatives from the, from the third century, have been coming up with these spiritual disciplines and these spiritual exercises, and he started to gather them. And he informed them to something called the examine. The examine is actually a 30-day uh, process, a retreat. And in some cases, it's been narrowed mir- mir- down until nine. But there's also a very brief version of the, of the examine that can take place every single day. And I've been doing this, I've been trying to at least, uh, for the past year. Because this was my issue. Uh, I went to a Jesuit high school. And my understanding of God was God was my Savior. The Lord part, I didn't get. But when I understood the Lord part, the Lord part meant work to me. Do work for God. That's your relationship with him. Love other people. Serve them. That's your relationship with God. And so I would say this to myself every single day. I would say this before every single seminary class I went to. Lord, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve you as you deserve. To give and not to count the cost. To fight and not to heed the wounds to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to seek reward. Save that of knowing that I'm doing your will. And I would say that to myself over and over and over again. This became my sample. This became my section. This is from Scripture, taken out of it. And this was my purpose. All I was here to do was work. There was no such thing as rest. It was just go, go, go. And I had to get out. By going to seminary down in L.A., it gave me time to recognize that it's not just about going, going, and going. My only purpose with God is not just to work. It's to be with him, to spend time with him. It includes rest, which blew my mind. So I used to say that last part, save that of knowing I'm doing your will. God, if giving is against your will, I'm not going to do it. That sounds weird, I know. But if fighting is against your will, I'm not going to do it. If working is against your will, I'm not going to do it. I had to reconfigure my thought of God. And I needed that break. I needed that rest. And the examine was a big part of that. So what I'd like you guys to do is participate in it with me. It's going to take about five minutes. It might feel a little weird, a little new agey. But then again, this is stuff that's centuries old. People have been doing this for a very long time, and in some very strange places. The first noted monastic was actually a man who went to Egypt, found an isle, island in the middle of the Nile, and just sat there by himself. 
And there was another guy who stood on a pole for 15 years. I'll tell that story later. But what I want you guys to do is try this with me. So, so it involve you getting a little space. So uh, if, you're, if you're touching your loved one, you're going to have to let go of them for a second, for a couple minutes. So create some space around yourselves. Sit up straight. And you can choose to put your hands in your laps or to your side. But don't fold them because this actually does change things. So I want you to close your eyes. I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to take another deep breath. Take a third. All the noises, all the ambient noise that you hear, it's not important right now. What is important is listening for that small voice that God's trying to share with you. Now, I want you to think about your day. I want you to think about waking up this morning. I want you to think about getting breakfast. The person that you spoke to, the people that you spoke to. Maybe you went for a run. Maybe you went out to bre- for breakfast. Maybe you sat and relaxed and enjoyed the morning. Maybe you went to church. And now I want you to think about midday, lunchtime. Where did you go? Who did you have lunch with? Who did you interact with at lunch? The waitress, the waiter, fellow customer, someone on the street along the way? And now I want you to think about this afternoon before you came to Spark. Were you driving? Who was with you? Were you walking? Who was around? How was the weather? Now I want you to ask yourself one simple question. Where did God show up today? Now take a deep breath. And another. And another. Now open your eyes. Now I don't know if you felt 
or recognized where God was at that moment. It might have worked for you. It might not have meant anything. But that's okay. I want you to remember that when you're in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, sometimes all it takes to hear God say something so profoundly simple is to let him speak through the events of your life and say, here I am. Here I will always be.
I used to tell Martina over there that whenever I heard a song about unconditional love, I could never take it as anything but from God because no one could ever keep those promises. And when I hear that song, it is a secular song, but I think that it speaks to who God is, that he loves us. There's nothing that can separate us from him and him from us. Let's pray. We love you, God. We love you and we love one another because you first loved us. And you reach out to us each and every day through what's going on in our lives, through the people in our lives and the circumstances in our lives, Lord. You are speaking to us and asking that we respond to you. But so often we're stuck. We hear these other voices. We hear these other songs that we've created hoping to understand you, Lord. We ask that you would help us to hear the original song that you have sung to us. You are our God. We are your people. We are your beloved children. Thank you for allowing us to take part in your work. And thank you for giving us rest. Because in that rest, we can not only experience joy that you give us, we can also experience your pain and your suffering and the suffering of those around us. And through those moments, we can grow closer to them and we can grow closer to you. Help us to keep our ears open and our eyes open for what you are doing. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. And remember, whenever you're stressed out, Try one of those spiritual exercises that can be extremely helpful in those moments just to remember that I am not alone. The story, the song, the sample that I've taken, the narrative might not be true. And God's trying to share another one with you in that moment.